Welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, the show connecting coaching, baseball, and softball, male, female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players themselves. Thank you for joining us today, episode 16. Our main topic doing evaluations. The premise is, of course, when to do evaluations with your players to best maximize their success. My name is Jim, sometimes referred to as James Anthony by my mother. And let's give a nice warm welcome to my friend, co-host. She's got a microphone this week, all ready to go. A new light, mm-hmm. softball national champion at the University of Alabama, and current day renowned coach, Cassie Riley Bosha. What up, coach? Thanks, Jim. And you know, my mom does call me Cassandra Claire every now and then. So, oh, <laughs> oh, man, we, we just keep peeling back the layers, don't we? <laughs> Right, um, I, I, I do prefer Cassie. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, in two weeks when you come back, maybe next week you're not going to be here, but in two weeks, episode 18, can I refer to you as that, or would you? That's, that's no problem. <laughs> Are you sure? Okay, all right. I, I, I had I had the uh, idea that your real name was Cassandra, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, my name, my real name is James. I don't like to be called James. I'd rather be called Anthony, but it's just too complicated to explain. <laughs> I feel like going through that explanation process. Hey, um, next week, episode 17, you will not be here. Unfortunately, you have a big event going on. Mm, I do. Getting married next week. (laughs) And um, we will have a guest co-host, your former head coach at the University of Alabama, known for being a national champion and, and a very highly esteemed head coach, Pat Murphy. He'll be joining us, kind of an interview style type show next week for episode 17 and the one thing i'm going to ask him is how he teaches his players to be able to coach themselves and we're seeing it now a lot in the world series if you're watching the world series i hope you are it's really great entertainment Mm -hmm. by the way with some astros players some phillies players veterans helping younger guys right helping younger players and younger athletes how do athletes go about that and being able to get to a point where they can coach themselves and how do coaches get to those athletes to that point to where they can kind of now lay back because part of your job as a coach and a teacher is teaching methods coaching and expressing those methods right to try and get those players to understand and then be able to coach themselves and make quick adjustments on the fly absolutely and to be honest the very first thing i'll tell athletes and and parents and they kind of get taken back a little bit is that my number one goal is you eventually don't need me, that you eventually don't need anybody because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not what someone else sees. It's what you're feeling. And, 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 Hey, how'd you feel on that pitch? And how can I make that adjustment? Because that's going to vary athlete to athlete. And I think what we see at the world series, what we see at the high level of college softball is you get athletes understanding hey, we don't need a coach telling us we're dropping our shoulder. We don't need someone telling us we're pulling our head. What we need is to be able to go and look at, you know, my my next batter up and say, hey, this guy or this girl is throwing a pitch very similar to what we faced back in April. Remember we faced that one girl who was throwing this? That's exactly the type of pitch. We got to think top half of the ball and we're going to smoke it to the gap. And something as simple as that is – probably way more valuable than anything else someone else who's not in the batter's box is seeing or hearing or trying to interpret for that hitter. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm watching, especially with hitting too. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's baseball or softball, you have to make those quick adjustments on the fly and to see some, and I know they're professional players. I know they're major league players, but 
there's no reason that college players in both sports can't understand this and, and really grasp the concept of being able to make those adjustments and coach themselves. I know it's easier said than done, but I think that what separates the great coaches is their ability to teach those players how to do such a thing. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's also, I think part of it is kind of like backing off a little bit and certainly um, it, you know, there was very little tolerance for not making adjustments in practice. And even my freshman year, it was like, if it, you know, you had a round of five BP swings and if two or God forbid, if you got to three in a row, but if two in a row, you kind of shanked to the opposite field side and you didn't make some type of adjustment, even if it was this massive overcorrection to just prove that you're at least fighting for something different, mm-hmm. your round was over, get out. Like you're not focused, <laughs> you know, that was, that was it. And I do think it's, you know, important when, I I ask every single one of my hitters, Hey, what's our goal today? What are we trying to focus on? What is your definition of success? And so many of them, I mean, I think 90% of the time they say consistency. And then when I ask them what that looks like, they don't really know how to define it. And I'm like, well, we're not going to go hit 800. Nobody does that. So we have to redefine what you really think consistency is. And what it boils down to is very mediocre hitters are going to make adjustments, maybe weekend to weekend, maybe month to month, whatever it may be, it's going to take them a very long time to make those adjustments. And then the higher echelon hitter you become, all of a sudden you're going not just game to game, not just at bat to at bat, you're going pitch to pitch, pitch to pitch, you're able to make these adjustments. And I think that's, you know, you don't have a hitter who's all of a sudden equipped to be able to hit every single pitch, no matter what you have a hitter who says, gets in the box, he's a pitch and goes, okay, I know how to, I know how to hit that one. And that's what separates these good from the best of the best. Yeah, and and I'm guessing that Pat Murphy was very instrumental in helping all of you out in being able to coach yourselves. Yeah, you know that is what is super interesting, and you'll you'll talk to him, and he knows hitting, but he's not a mechanics guy. He's not somebody who's going to sit there and watch video and break down the mechanics. It's a completely different type of hitting style that uh, you know, and he surrounds himself with a staff that has the you know the the passion and the drive to go and break those mechanics down. But that's not where he he thrives in, in coaching and, and where his lane is. And so, yeah, it is, you know, it's, it's neat too to, you know, he's been around the game for so long um, to, you know, middle of the world series, we're losing three, nothing. And he's like, all right, listen, we're making this adjustment. Everyone's moving up in the box on the plate. And I think he heard that because of a, an adjustment someone made off of, of Randy Johnson's slider one time. And that was the type of pitch we were facing a, a lefty drop, drop curveball pitcher. And, uh, and so, you know, it worked, you know, but it, it was just it's neat to see how his mind makes those adjustments and um, where he pushes us to and then where he lets us run with the rest of it. Yeah, that'll be episode 17 next week. Our guest co-host, Pat Murphy, your former head coach at the University of Alabama. So join us for that. That'll be a lot of fun this week. Episode 16. And of course, follow us on social media at Jim Tara and at coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram at coach Cassie RB on Twitter. All right. Today, purpose of evaluations. I don't think many coaches do evaluations with their players. I think a lot of times and if they don't use enough video, they're certainly not um, doing enough evaluations is so many drills out there. God, I saw one last night and I'm not trying to knock it, but I saw a drill on Instagram last night and it was perfect timing because we were recording the show today of a hitter who had a, a kind of like a beach ball type type deal, um, like a rubber, big rubber ball that they put between the right-handed batter and they put it 
between the elbow and the forearm and then they swung and the ball was released and it popped out and i didn't really understand the purpose of that drill right and i'm going off here editorializing sorry but uh, you know the reason that i think you do evaluations um there's two types of evaluations right mm, i think so yeah i mean you're gonna have well you're going to have some for your older, more experienced athletes and then some right. for maybe younger, less experienced athletes. Not to say you can't have an older, unexperienced athlete or a younger, experienced athlete, right? But you're really trying to figure out, okay, um, where can I meet this athlete halfway? If I get a 12-year-old that kind of just started playing softball a year or two ago, I'm not putting them through a full biomechanical evaluation and testing all these things. That's not what they need. Um, and then, you know, taking a little bit of a further step back, I work in a private sector. I don't work with a college team. I don't work with a travel team. I don't have a team that is really just required to work with me. So, you know, it's a side that doesn't really get talked about as much, but I really have to sell on that evaluation then too. If that's my first interaction with the athlete and the parent, because I'm getting evaluated by them just as much as I am evaluating the athlete because they're trying to decide, is this worth our time or money or effort? And that's just, you know, going to a different level of professionalism. It's not just, all right, come on in, let's get your metrics in, boom, 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 let's get out. It's like, no, the purpose of the evaluation is not just the metrics. It's not just to take a look at how you move and how your swing operates. It's, hey, let's get to know you. Let's make sure you get to know me. Let's make sure we have enough time to interact and you can ask questions. Um, when we do this evaluation or when we do test this metric, this is why we're testing it. This is what it tells us about. And this is how it's going to guide your future training. So you know, not that I think that should be overlooked at any other level, just I think it's really important in the private sector to to be able to sell yourself and, and showcase yourself as a professional. Yeah. So when you mentioned private sector, it's a good point. How do your evaluations differ from an evaluation of a player as it pertains to a major league team, for example? You know, I'm, I'm actually not sure. I'm getting an opportunity to go to a pirates camp in a couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. I will have more information on exactly how a, uh, a major league baseball team goes about it. But yeah. I have had insight from just asking certain people uh, at that major league level, you know, certain things. I think it really boils down to when you're at that major league level, you have a Rolls Royce that you need to put a waxing coat on and a shine to, right? Yeah. When I like you have a younger, right. When you have a younger athlete that is potentially not even professional bound, it's a, you have like uh, a, like frame of a car that you get to build now. And I think it's very different considerations then, which then would lend to very different evaluations. You probably don't want to make these massive adjustments and corrections on someone who is, you know, 22, 23, 24, because that's not how they're going to uh, develop. If anything, you're trying to get baseline measurements to say, okay, this is where this is the profile we're currently at. Here's our exit velocity. Here's what our mechanics look like. Here's what our you know blast profile, let's say, looks like. Hit tracks, whatever they, that may be. And then what you're trying to do is say, where are our opportunities to expand upon? But you're not trying to completely change. And why that is so valuable is, let's say, come season they enter into a slump. Let's say they enter into an injury. Now you have some some type of metrics to go off of to to measure their swing profile. Um, that obviously differs a little bit from a 12 year old, a 13 year old, a 14 year old that we might get in the building. Right. Right. So now see, I'm, I'm very curious because when you look at blast motion technology, right. Or the, the report, and you look at other reports from the evaluation that you just did, you mentioned the, the car analogy there just a couple of seconds ago. How do you go about when you look at that report 
how do you then go about putting together a practice plan and putting together just an overall training plan to get the most out of that player? Sure. So I think those types of things are just a piece of the evaluation. I certainly don't just look at blast metrics and then create a program. I feel a little blind doing that. Um, if anything, it's going to be a combination, right? So you have your initial evaluation to really get your baseline. And then I think your first three to five sessions are still, you're still evaluating that hitter. You're trying to figure out how they learn. You're trying to figure out how they, how they adapt. You might recognize they have very little body awareness. They have tremendous blast motion metrics, but they don't even know how to attempt to begin to produce that off of live pitching, let's say, whatever that may be. So we're trying to figure out where are these gaps, where are these gaps, where are the opportunities we can fill. Um, so I really do think, you know, technically every time you're with an athlete is a different level of an evaluation, but you're not truly going to be able to formulate a long-term plan, like a, a very detailed one, at least until you have a couple of sessions, I think under your belt, you can do a template of one, but mm -hmm. you should be tweaking as you're continuing to work with that athlete. Um, and again, looking at blast, you want to, you know, I, I, I like to look at the profile. I like to look at the averages. And then I also, I think it's important to see outliers. If something is very off kilter, either high or low, um, that's usually where I'll kind of say, okay, why is this happening? And is this something we actually have to adjust or is this something that I just need to be aware of? What kind of, what's been the hardest adjustment that you've had to make with a player? Um, you know what? I think it's an older athlete who has found some success, who has very, very little body awareness. They are kind of like an all or nothing hitter. So it's hard to take a look at a hitter and be like, we're going to dial back a little bit come this offseason to gain some body control. Mm -hmm. And that might result initially in some lower metrics. It might result in like a, like maybe a, a little bit of a few weeks of, hey, we're going to accept lower bat velocity, lower exit velocity to adjust our accuracy so we can, we can hit these movement pitches to then build back up again. Not as common, but that every now and then when we have a hitter who just has no idea where their body's going and how it's moving, um, that does become a little bit more valuable so that they can become their own coach and make those adjustments yeah. later on. Yeah, I was going, I was just going to connect it. Yeah, I was just, yeah. from what we talked about earlier, becoming your own coach. What about, how do you take into account what type of learners they are when you present to them this report? If you present this report to them at all, their evaluation, how do you take into account what type of learner they are? Sure. Um, so trying to figure out, are they a kinesthetic learner? Meaning, do they respond really well to thinking about their body? Hey, I want you to try to get your palm up. I want to try to get you in a side bend position. Some hitters respond extremely well to that. And if I'm being honest, it's typically athletes who are playing multiple sports, athletes who are in the weight room at some capacity that respond extremely well to that. Okay, I know what my body's doing in space. Then you have some athletes who are a little bit more of an auditory learner. The relating what the ball sounds like off the bat, relating the sound of um, the ball hitting the back of the net. Like, Hey, I want you to try to get this, this pop, this, you know, or like I'll, if that's the case, I'll start creating a tempo with like a snap, those types of things. It's not as common, but that might aid in their ability to help. And then last you have this visual learner where they need to see video of themselves. They need to watch another athlete doing it. They need to uh, just, you can't just tell them what's going on. You have to actually show them. And that is, I think probably the most common, you're not going to have a hitter that only lives in one lane. They're going to have some combination of all three. Now there was some really interesting research that came out. I, it's not definitive, but it's something to just have a coach to have in their back pocket where when you ask an athlete a question and they immediately look down, like majority of the time, they're a kinesthetic learner. 
when you like as they're answering if you have an athlete that kind of looks up they're typically a visual learner and if they end up looking side to side as they're answering they're typically an auditory learner so like you're trying to figure out where their their dominance is now as a coach i think again that's something to keep in your back pocket it's not a guaranteed some some people might just have a tendency to look one way or another but i thought that research was interesting it's something i do look for every now and then um but i i also think that's made me a better coach because now i'm forced to adapt so when I want to attack, uh, let's say, for instance, having a hitter try to create more separation, letting their hips go first, keeping their upper body back, I may need two or I probably need at least three different ways to showcase that to an athlete based on what type of learner they are. I'm saying the exact same thing. Or I'm trying to teach the exact same thing, but I'll try to utilize a little bit more of a kinesthetic approach to one hitter, a visual approach to another hitter and, and whatever that, you know, the, else, the other one may fall into place there yeah, for them yeah. to be an auditory learner. Yeah, I was going to ask, what about somebody who learns based off feel mm. uh so i'll try to get them in front of a mirror and mm. as they're looking at themselves i'm guiding their body into those positions or i'll have them close their eyes and have them try to replicate that um the other thing i'll maybe put a water bag in their hand so um if you've ever seen it, it's like a probably like two or three pounds but the water oscillates and what it does is it it creates like okay it's not just a stable thing that i'm holding it creates a little bit of movement it forces your body to stabilize a little bit more at different positions so now they really have an awareness of where your hands are in the load as you're going to contact they really have an awareness of where things are out of contact it's almost like pretending you're at contact and pretend someone's moving the bat back and forth and you're having to just stabilize to just yeah. feel that position a much less intense version of that is what you get with a water bag so um, I really like utilizing things like that, eyes closed, slow and controlled movement, tempoed movement. Um, but then also too, like something like a medicine ball throw, talk about a hitter not having to worry about actually making bat ball contact, but being able to get their body to move fast. If I need a hitter to feel really fast rotation, it's, hey, we're going to go do med medicine ball throws because they get a bat in their hand and then they get worried about making contact and all of a sudden they're not actually rotating fast anymore. They're trying to make contact. Yeah. We're going to throw the med ball and not worry about, you know, any type of contact or accuracy. It's just, let's go, let's move. So you can kind of get some hacks here and there. Um, and again, you're learning the hitter, learning what works best for them. What about the frequency now of, of doing evaluations? Because you don't always, you have players from all different age ranges, You've talked about it before on, on previous episodes. You've got players who may be eight years old and you've got some college and pro players coming in. So the frequency obviously is going to be a little bit different. Plus, everybody's playing different sports. They've got different activities going on. So what's the frequency like, in your opinion, what should it be for when you do evaluations as a coach? Yeah, um, I'll answer this now and then I'll probably have a different answer in about six months from now because it usually it We'll usually revisit it in six months. <laughs> right. So um, I can give you... In our building, the most intense program we run is a is a throwing program. It's a six day a week. They come for an hour and a half to two hours. Um, they use, utilize their throwing program, their shoulder care for 45 minutes to an hour, and then they go and train in the weight room. They are going to test every other week. And the reason for that is they are getting like, that is our most intense. That's the biggest time commitment. We are going to see incremental changes and it's, I think it's important. Like they're putting in that effort. We're putting in the effort to make sure what we're programming works. So I think that's probably the most frequent as far as testing goes, because testing and evaluating is very different. If I have an athlete who's coming for hitting, she lives an hour and a half away. I see her maybe once a month, but she, I know she's working on her own at home. I'll probably do some level of an evaluation or a test every single time I see her, but that only becomes once a month now. Right. Right. 
So it's just, it's, I think it, I hate saying it depends because it makes it sound like there's nothing concrete, but you're, you're essentially evaluating that hitter every time they come in the building. You're trying to evaluate the mood they're in. You're trying to evaluate how they're progressing, if they're burnt out from what they're doing, if they're excited about the progress of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're testing and you're trying to utilize metrics, I'm probably sprinkling that in for my hitters, probably in a once a month scenario. As we get closer to season, as we're in season, um, I might test them on blast almost every time. Uh, just and I might not even show them. I just want to check. Okay. Are we, do we have a couple of uh, bruises? Are we like banged up a little bit? Is that impacting our ability to swing? Are we, is anything massively off right now? Um, so that might be something where I'm just checking every time I see them. But uh, again, the evaluation of the test sometimes is a little bit different. Okay. So how do you adjust then your evaluations and how do you become so flexible with that certain player? Because again, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier on, but everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a different learner. Everybody's a different mover. Correct. Right. Yes. Yep. Um, so, I, yeah. So, okay. So, it, you know, this is so funny because um, we just had our meeting with our DJ for the wedding. Right. And she's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to make it sound for those like who don't know. Cassie's getting married. next Yes. Week. Yeah. Right. So she goes, I don't want to sound like I'm winging it. She goes, but I've done so many weddings that every mm-hmm. time I show up, I can kind of get a feel of what the age range is of the people there, what the field of people are there. And then that's how I kind of dictate the flow of the music. Sometimes she goes, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm doing it on the fly, but you know, I resonated with that. I was like, no, I completely understand because I don't want a hitter to think like, Hey, I'm going to wing your, your hitting session. That's not the case. I have an idea and I have a template, but when you show up that day and maybe we do do a test and we realize uh, you're gassed, either you worked out the day before you didn't get enough sleep, whatever that may be. I may have wanted to do testing that day or an evaluation that day. And you know what, we're going to complete, we're working on something completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think when, you know, when I think of evaluation, when I think of testing, I'm like, okay, this is really trying to get a profile of, of how the hitter moves. Um, when I think of like that relationship you get with an athlete and trying to figure out, okay, is it timing? Is it confidence? Like what exactly do we need to just get in the cage and feel good? That's probably, that's a little bit more of like a coaching relationship than, than a true evaluation. But in the same breath, you are evaluating the hitter at that time. So um, I, I, I do think uh, younger athletes, uh, nothing too crazy. I want to measure intent. I think it's neat to try to get numbers and go, try to get a profile like, hey, what's the average exit velocity of a 10-year-old softball player? That's probably not known. So it's I like to collect it just to have it. Um, but I usually don't need a ton of blast metrics. I don't need to know, hey, what's your squat look like? I don't need to know what your internal rotation of your front hip look like. Um, that's usually the case much later on when I have a little bit more of an experienced hitter that's a little bit more solidified in their in their growth. So again, a mouthful. Uh, but we are trying to unlock something, right? We, you yes. know, watching the World Series and seeing the Astros pitching depth. I mean, you probably see it too. Mm-hmm. You know, Hector Neris used to be with the Phillies, and I'm not, I'm not knocking the Phillies player development department, but the Astros picked him up, and they were able to unlock something that makes him a dangerous key in their bullpen. I mean, same thing with Javier, a guy who started the year in the bullpen for Houston. Again, they were able to unlock something, and he helped throw a no hitter the other night in the World Series. So that's kind of like when you mentioned you mentioned some some physical stuff about the the player and how their hip moves or hip rotation. I, I'm not using the right verbiage. I apologize, but some of that other some of that other physical stuff that's kind of later on, right? Because you're trying to unlock that player a little bit further. 
Yeah, I, I do think there is something to say about a young athlete naturally moving. Um, you know, you look at the natural course of development, how you teach a young athlete, like you don't want to get them so locked up in mechanics that they're not actually being athletic, that they're not actually adjusting. So when you get to that 15, 16, 17 year old age range, now you can start to be like, OK, you've grown. Your femurs are are kind of uh, done growing. We can get a better idea of like where your stride needs to be. Um even, you know, it's, it's so interesting. There's three different types of hip articulation. So the angle at which your hip inserts into the pelvis, the, uh, the length at which it inserts and just the, 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 um, width and the, and the, the depth of your pelvis all impact how your front foot should even land. Right. So if you have, if you possess very little internal rotation at your front hip, you're going to probably have to land with a very open front foot that is something that, yes, that's valuable to evaluate. It's valuable to know, but it's also, uh, it's not a one size fits all approach. And someone might have really tight hip internal rotation from a lift they did the day before. And you know what, that just came up in a, in our warm up. And now, you know, you can call that an evaluation. You can call that a test, whatever it may be, but that's just an adjustment we're making to say, you know what, we might need to start with our front foot open a little bit more. And that had nothing to do with metrics. You can test, you can test and retest and see what it, how it changed. But that's just a consideration to have for that athlete then. All right. Two questions. One, what's your wedding song? If you, <laughs> if you can reveal it. Yeah. I don't mind. Wedding DJ. <laughs> so wedding song is banks by need to breathe. Okay, I've never heard of it. Check wow. it out. It's a good song. Where'd you, where'd you discover that? So need to breathe, believe it or not, started off as like a Christian band down South. And then they changed to more of a rock band when I was in Alabama. Mm. And so I've just ended up following them for a long time. And so I did, I did like the song when I was like, you know, shuffling through my, my playlist a little while ago. And I was like, you know what? This is a good one. Okay. Sorry. I put you on the spot there. You're fine. I hope I didn't spoil anything for anybody. No. Speaking of question, how do coaches go about learning how to do proper evaluations, younger coaches, how do they go about learning the process of that so they can maximize their players' success and maximize really their success as well as coaches? Sure. I think probably two things. Number one, you probably want to start with the end in mind, meaning what do I want to know about this athlete? Like how would I define a successful interaction with this athlete? And maybe you want to know, you maybe come up with like 10 different things and then you work your way backwards. How would I actually test? How would I evaluate these things? Mm -hmm. um, I then think the coach every few months, like, you know, I said, you know, come find me again in six months because I'm constantly asking myself, why do I need to know this? Why do I need to know this as a coach? Why does the athlete need to do this? Why do I need to know this? And I want to make sure I'm not just testing just to test. I want to make sure I'm not just doing an evaluation to make it look fancy. Like I have equipment in my cage. Um, so I might adjust something and be like, you know what, this actually isn't what I really want to be testing right now. I want to look at this, you know, and I think as a coach, you constantly asking yourself that why is going to force you to learn. It's going to force you to become a little bit more educated in those things, but it, it doesn't have to be overly complicated at the end of the day. Our job is to not have a complete metric profile of a hitter and turn them into a robot. Our job is to create a relationship with that hitter so that they can become a little bit more successful. Um, and however they end up defining success. And if I, if any coach is listening to this right now, they know that they've had some of their best sessions was connecting with a hitter emotionally. And all of a sudden their mechanics fell into place. And you're like, well, damn, I didn't do a single thing mechanically, but they just relaxed a little bit and things started to fall into place. Right. So not to say that's for everyone, but it's just, there is a, there's, it doesn't, we don't need to overcomplicate things. Hitting is, is 
is complicated, yes, but we don't need to overcomplicate it for the hitter. Yeah. So um, be sure to, uh, again, follow us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, Softball Strength Academy to watch the show on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, of course. And what am I missing? Email, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com if you do have any questions. And you can reach out to us on social media and ask us questions that way as well. I do want to go back to one thing, though, and and um, and just differentiate the two about with the Astros, the point I made about how they unlock their talent in both pitchers and hitters. They do it more based off metrics from what I've gathered and what I've heard. We're talking more kinesiology today as it mm-hmm. pertains to doing evaluations and, and coaching. But there is that correlation, that connection between the two. It's the main goal, trying to unlock the athlete to be their best self. Mm. Right? I hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so this is what's so interesting is, so if we really want to dive into it, we have sequencing, right? Yeah. Can we get our body to get our hips to go first, followed by our torso, followed by our arms, followed by our hands, followed by the bat to create this whip. Now, the original thought process was like, we have to get this massive separation. We need to get our hips massively rotated and keep our upper body back. We need to create all the space between our hips going first and our upper body. What we've found though, is it's not the depth that matters. It's can we sequencing it at like the perfect time? Maybe you don't have as much range of motion, but you can go boom, boom. You can get it to go in the right order at the right time really, really well. Mm-hmm. So not to get too overly complicated here, but I'm, I'm talking to a strength and conditioning coach at the uh, um, AAA level. And he was saying, you know, we had this understanding, this one person in particular was a phenomenal hitter. He lacked some rotation. They're like, oh my gosh, we're going to make him hit so much harder if we open up his hips. And they did all this rotational stuff, all this stuff to try to get him to get his hips to go first. And within two weeks, he gets an oblique strain, right? So it's it's one of those things where that wasn't an incorrect thought on paper, but we have to think like, why is the, you know, the athlete's 22 years old. They've been moving a certain way for however long. There's a reason their body is doing this. We need to take a step back and actually ask, okay, why? Like, why are we unlocking this hip? Is there another way we could potentially help this hitter? Um so we, you know, at those, again, you have a very nice car that is, <laughs> runs very fast. We probably don't need to completely rewire the engine. We probably just need to figure out how to make these minor tweaks. And I think teams like the Astros, teams that are really utilizing some of these metrics. And we talked about what Bregman said in his interview where it was like the, you know, he's trying to match bat plane to vertical break on a pitcher. Yeah. that's, that's, I think a big deal. That's like something where, you know, a lot of people or a lot of organizations are playing catch up on that right now. Yeah. Yeah. That was an, an amazing answer, by the way. And it's amazing that he's able to do that. And I'm glad you brought that up because the other night when he got that hit off Alvarado, that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at the replay and you look at the, the side view, the open view of that swing, it's a, that's exactly what he did. Now, the one other question I have that I just thought of too I wonder if if we're you know we're we're figuring out matter and antimatter every week here on the show. So I'm gonna we're gonna try to figure out how player development departments can better have a relationship with with scouts. You know, I'm wondering when scouts don't like a certain uh, element of a hitter, right? Certain fundamental of a hitter, uh, and and they they kind of give this recommendation to their bosses and to player development. And I'm I'm just one, and they maybe say draft this player or don't draft this player my my point is though and you mentioned that story of a guy who hurt his oblique you know maybe that's 
the way that those two departments can work together in that, hey, look, I don't if I'm a scout, I don't like this guy because of this, you know, because of this element of his swing. And if you try to change a certain element to make him do something that his body's not used to, he might get hurt. And that's kind of a I don't know, kind of points to the example that you just mentioned there. Yeah, you know, it it, it is interesting. And and we're starting to see this new professional position pop up at major league baseball where you have a strength and conditioning coach who operates with the athlete in the weight room. They're trying to, um, you know, take a look at, honestly, I think a strength coach's biggest answer or question they have to ask is how much weight is too much weight. Like, again, you have, you don't need to max out everyone, whatever it may be managing central nervous system fatigue, managing injury prevention, managing, getting their body, body ready to be the most powerful itself on the field. Then you have hitting coaches, right? And hitting coaches are looking at mechanical breakdowns, metrics. They're trying to figure out the data. Um, and I really do think that hitting coach role is shifting way more to a data analytics person, even so much so that we're looking at umpire heat maps of where people are calling strikes and then putting hitters in the lineup that match the swing planes of an umpire's hit zone, right? Or strike zone. Now the new position we're seeing is an integrated hitting coach. So it is a hitting coach with a strength and conditioning background. And their role is to really be the liaison between that hitting coach and the strength and conditioning coach to make sure things like what happened with that individual, where we unlock all this hit potential, but it really didn't translate to what the hitter actually needed at the time. So making sure the conversation between that hitting analytics individual and the strength coach is is still meeting the best needs of the athlete. And, and I, and I joke too, because if any, if you know of anyone who's ever been in custody or anything like that, you have the mom that has a lawyer, the dad that has a lawyer, but then there's a lawyer that represents the the kid, right. That's completely separate. So I'm like, Oh, this is it. This is the lawyer that represents the hitter because you have, you know, people pulling the hitter in so many different directions. You need to get stronger. You need to swing faster, whatever it may be. And now you have this integrated strength coach. That's like, no, 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 I'm representing the hitter because I've, I have the hitting background. I have the strength and conditioning background. And now I can really help these two professionals make a decision on what's best for the athlete. Yeah. Well, well said. Good stuff this week. In a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about a training calendar, putting a training calendar together throughout the year. That'll be episode 18. Next week, our guest co-host will be Pat Murphy. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Pat Enjoy, Murphy. everybody. Not the baseball, uh, Pat Murphy, but the softball. Pat Murphy, who, of course, coached you to that national championship in 2012. You mentioned mechanical breakdown in there. Well, Ep and I are doing a mechanical breakdown this week on the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. So subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We are breaking down the swing of Mike Piazza, a gold mm-hmm. edition. Wow. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. I always loved his swing, by the way. Mike Piazza. Mm-hmm. Beautiful swing. Worked with Ted Williams. A lot of people didn't know that, including Ep, by the way. He didn't know that. I had to tell him. It's very cool. Yeah, he worked with Ted Williams. It was very, it was, um, his swing was um, very majestic. Mm. Proper word. It's fair. Very, very majestic. I think my favorite story about Mike Piazza is, um, I guess when he got offered the spot to like sign for the first time, the guy went to say what his signing bonus was. And I think he was saying five, I don't know if it was 500, whatever it was, 5,000, but he said yes before he finished because he didn't care. He would have signed for nothing. He was like, you know, and so I thought that was super cool. That was just someone who wanted to play the game. All right, what do you got coming on uh, coming up at Softball Strength Academy? We have a big 500 drill library that is going to be released in the coming week. So that is on the horizon. Um, we are continuing to post, continuing to try to share as much information as possible, especially as we head into the off season. Just information on what off season training can look like for you. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, if anyone has any questions about anything, especially because I think the evaluation is so interesting to think about. Um, 
send emails, reach out on social media and would love to answer. Yes, indeed. Jimbo podcast, 21 and gmail.com and subscribe of course to the podcast as well, wherever you get your podcasts and, um, the softball strength academy youtube page to watch the show cassie we will talk to you in a couple of weeks thank you for listening everybody and uh, we'll talk to you next week take care thank you